This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Brad Doyle, president of the American Soybean Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Arkansas soybean farmer Brad Doyle next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 480 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Traditionally, the end of harvest and higher commodity prices would bring confidence for soybean growers. But Arkansas soybean farmer and American Soybean Association President Brad Doyle says preparing for the 22 growing season is a challenge. It has turned into a search for inputs. Fertilizer prices and the lack of fertilizer available has really put stress on farmers to try to lock that in for the, for the year. And in, in, in so much of a tight supply that farmers are starting to shift away from crops that require higher amounts of fertilizer. So if we can't get it, we can't get a price on it, or the price is extremely two, three, four times as high as it was last year, then we're going to make some big decisions on what we're going to plant next year. With that, we also have to make herbicide and fungicide and insecticide decisions now, where we normally do that just in time. With with the, the supply chain crunch that's going on right now, we don't even know if we can make it to the end of the crop season with the herbicides that we need to keep our fields clean that would help us maximize the yield. It is just very, very frustrating now uh, seeing that we can't get our hands on the products that were so easily uh, accessible you know, last year and the year before. It's, this is just a mind-blowing the uh, the stress that we're going through right now. So some would look at the commodity price that we see for corn, for soybeans, and even for wheat now and think that farmers are solidly in the black ink, but how are input prices affecting your outlook for income in 22? If we look at just herbicides alone, we are doubling, almost tripling of some of the, the herbicide input costs. So where you may have had a uh, in the black comfortable, now we're we're teeter tottering on whether they're going to be profitable or not next year. We're going to have to work even harder going into it, knowing that we have such a high expense in this crop. You know, we've got to push it to the end if we want to protect it and, and try to to come out with a with a decent yield. Mother Nature is still in control at the end, so we can't control that. But the inputs, fertilizer crop protection products we we try to do our best and we'll do uh, as good as we can with the products that are available recently you surveyed your members and talking about wants and needs in the 2023 farm bill house ag chairman scott suggests that he could start hearings um, as soon as january and uh, ranking member thompson has uh, given a, a list of his priorities as well for agriculture how important for ASA and for other agriculture groups to have a game plan 
even at this date and hour in talking about new policy? I think it's great. We were hearing earlier in the year that the trade or the the farm bill talks may be postponed until the next election cycle. So we're very excited that they're willing to start taking uh, our input and other farmer organizations' input. But that's where that survey is going to be so critical. You know, what is important on your farm? So we can take that priority list to the Hill, visit with our senators, congressmen, let them know what changes need to be made, where we're willing to work with them on on plans going forward. But, you know, we do this every four to five years on the Farm Bill, and uh, it, 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 we, we, we re, re-up it, reauthorize things. We also add new programs where, where needed. So it's a great um, plan, uh, and I'm glad that they are taking the initiative to get us on there on their docket as soon as possible. I find it interesting that when we start talking about farm policy, uh, you're looking at the circumstances you're dealing with at the time. Trade will always be there. Risk management tools uh, certainly to be a part of it. But then some of the things uh, that we may be talking about this time are ones we haven't talked about for a while, like inflation and and interest rates. Those are issues that that certainly could make a difference. Yes, absolutely. We, you know, trade has been one of our, our biggest topics through the years. Uh, American Soybean Association had an international marketing program that has been in place for, for many years. We've, uh, we still have that program and we are working with the, uh, United Soybean Board, uh, where we developed the United States Soybean Export Council. That's now 15 years old. So we, we have staff in foreign countries. Uh, we promote trade. We find out what they're looking for, how we can get it to them, uh, what uh, what are they always want to know, what the plan for the future is. So we have huge investment in creating demand for our, our soybean product. That leads to um, to the foreign market development, the TPA programs that, uh, that the U.S. has available to us. Uh, we support those. Um, very strongly foreign market development. But, yeah, inflation complicates a lot of things. If the dollar is not worth as much uh, as it was in one country or the other, they can't purchase as much or, or we can't sell them as much. So uh, I think that is a moving target right now. Inflation, we're very aware of what it could do um, to our you know, financing even. We have so many farming operations that depend on loans each year. And uh, they have to pay back that loan, and if there's going to be a, a much higher increase in, in the payback, uh, it's, it could cause deficits. So one of the things that farmers have talked about and their concerns over trade policy are getting countries like China and even Mexico and some others to accept new traits, to accept new technology. But it appears within our borders it's the reevaluation of some of the herbicides and insecticides that farmers like yourself use. Uh, it is the acceptance or the approval of new biotech uh, uh, forms of, of technology that might enable you to be more sustainable. But those things have come into question. And again, the corn growers and I think your association have as well have raised some concerns about how EPA is evaluating the technologies that you have used or you may be able to use. 
So every, you know, the, the label is law. That is what farmers know. The, the label is what comes with every herbicide that we use. And we, fi- we have to follow that label uh, to, to legally use that product. It takes years for those labels to be uh, vetted through scientific data and, and that EPA label is issued. For just the change in um, administration thoughts and views to start rethinking labels is not it's not appropriate for farmers mid-season especially because we've already made the decision to purchase traits whether it's corn soybean cotton and and to change it midstream puts well it takes out a lot of our tools out of our toolbox so uh, it's very important to you know stand by those labels those those have been made by uh, EPA through the years. It took long, you know, expense, hard work to get those done. And for it just to be t- overturned for a political reason, it's not fair to the U.S. farmer. And so that is what we're, yeah, that's what we're very concerned about on uh, on some of the most newest uh, traits that are available. Do you think in the evaluation of some herbicides and insecticides that you've been using that the EPA is using a fair methodology? No, I, I think they have. They've, they've miscalculated uh, some of the, the use rates that, that farmers typically use, and that's where I think a grower advisory panel would come, you know, would be much more helpful if they can interact more with the farmers and actually know how much herbicide, how often, when when are we applying it, and it's the total amount of active ingredient that we use. They could uh, they could back down a little bit off of the restrictions. Because they just think we use a ton, a ton more of, of the you know pesticides that we're actually using. So it just it's a open up a more uh, open line of communication. I think this will help us. Uh, when it comes down to the twenty three farm bill, uh, can you sacrifice risk management tools and risk management programs and shift dollars towards sustainability or conservation stewardship? So conservation is always. Now, on our mind, we we do it voluntarily each year. Uh, when incentives come along, yes, they are attractive. But if we ever decide to make that a priority over risk management, such as crop insurance, I, I think we would we're going to back off of that risk management. I believe if you look at crop insurance, is used on about ninety percent of the U.S. soybean acres in in the United States. That is uh, would be devastating to take that tool away. It is a great program. It gives us, uh, you know, the financial security when disaster happens, such as a tornado or a, a large weather event that would happen to, or flooding even, I believe is a federal uh, program. So, yeah, we're we are going to stand by the risk management tools that we have, such as crop insurance. Not backing off of conservation at all, but just if, if the conservation programs uh, try to um, try to take precedence over the the, the risk management tools, we're, we're gonna we're gonna fight that. Some might be critical of agriculture and the dollars that have come toward producers in the country uh, during the period of time of the trade spat with China, the market. Uh, facilitation program uh, funds that were available, the dollars that have come to agriculture during coronavirus relief. 
How do you justify those dollars in light of those that that might come after funds and the baseline in the in the twenty three farm bill? So yeah, if we go back to the China trade war, I actually visited China during that time, and it was very interesting. We could still talk about you know the demand of soybean. We could talk about the value of soybean and the and the advantage of the U.S. soybean over other countries. But they just simply could not purchase our soybeans. So what did that do? That brought down the value. It was, I believe, around a dollar sixty-five in that first year, and and it was, you know, related to uh, to a government decision, uh, talks and trade, and so that was a with through input of grower associations. That first year, the solution was to pay that dollar sixty-five. That you know, moving on to the next year affected way more crops than just soybean and then there were some acre payments we've seen you know since seen that go away uh, we've seen more of covid money come up through the ppp and and that helps some some grower uh, employees you know pay their bills and things like that so we're i think we're we're willingness you know to to talk about what what seems to work the best uh, but but the biggest probably challenge that a lot of this COVID money has caused is just simply keeping people at home and not working. Uh, labor shortage, uh, trucker shortage, that is some of the uh, indirect um, you know, problems that the, the money has created, and we're very concerned about that. Where would agriculture have been had those support dollars not come? I would have, uh, wow, so looking back, it would have been in really tough shape. Um, we took a big hit, you know, in the price of soybeans when you already have a high investment in that crop, in other crops as well. But when you have that much invested and you get almost to the end and the prices start dropping out due to a political, uh, you know, fighting or or disagreement uh you know that the farmers had nothing to do with then yeah they were uh they stepped up and 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 supported the farmers we would have been in some serious trouble i believe financially there would have been some farmers who who couldn't have paid their loans back couldn't have paid any credit that they outstanding credit they had so we were very fortunate to be able to to accept that it was uh it was a great program we supported it uh, and we'll continue to support programs like that if they make sense uh, to the U.S. farmer. It appears the soybean industry and the oilseed industry is on the cusp of perhaps a paradigm change. You have seen advantage from the renewable fuel standard and soy biodiesel, but there appears to be a growing movement of crushing the soybean for the oil for next-generation biofuels. First, how do you feel about preserving the RFS and seeing it implemented according to the law? And then what about this next wave or these uh, this new opportunity that many suggest uh, is imminent in the industry? So, Jeff, I think you have to go back to our priority list. We've had, you know, biodiesel has been one of our priorities for many, many years. ASA and, and uh, some of our affiliate states were... We're at ground zero for the promotion of biodiesel. Farmers, farmers do a great job of investing their own dollars through the checkoff 
into new new uses, and that was what biodiesel was. It was a uh, we've got this you know extra oil out here. Uh, the mill had a home. We were feeding that into the livestock industry. What can we do with this oil? It makes a great cooking oil and a lubricant, and that just led right into a renewable fuel source. So if we fast forward, we have, you know, through climate change and regulation that we have a solution. We have a product that, uh, you know, both the East and West Coast really are ramping up their uh, demand on. And so anything uh, that we can uh, do from an industry to help support the the refineries that produce that oil, make it um, still profitable for them, and keep that high demand of our soybean oil up, we're, we're going to you know be supportive of. And so that is uh, critical as we go forward. Uh, you know where we were talking to soybean oil uh, crush mills. Now we are, you know, we're trying to get in talks with the, the big petroleum companies because they are themselves trying to get into that market. So I think we're just keeping that line of communication, supporting the industry, uh, not penalizing um, the, the refineries that, you know, are going to go against us. And, and uh, I think that'll be a great support to the industry. You could find yourself with a tremendous increase in demand. Do you think farmers will raise more soybeans, and do you have enough processing capacity to crush to to get the oil that this demand is going to create? I think, believe one of the most recent reports I heard that there were about seven new crush facilities being built in the United States. So where in the past we were shipping whole soybeans, uh, you know, across the ocean or, or down into Mexico or even up north, and, and they crushed it there and they had their own market. So yeah, we are. We will have the capacity to crush more soybeans here in the U.S. We will still ship the the meal to the uh, to the markets where it's needed. That oil, uh, more of it, because there is more demand here in the U.S. We are going to have it closer to home, have it more available. To say that it it, it will increase in you know soybean acres, it will be driven from price. If that price goes up. Uh, especially in a year with high input costs, we very well could see, I don't know, you know, two to five to ten million acre shift. I, you know, that's, that's pretty high amount at this, at this time. A lot of Midwestern farmers are already in a one to one, one to one relationship, at, uh, uh, rotation that they, they can't switch off. Um, down here in the southern U.S., we're more flexible. We have more crops. We we might shift a little harder to the to the soybean acres. Um, it's a little early yet, uh, just because the price hasn't changed a whole lot. Uh, I think it's right now uh, we're shifting acres just because of input costs. In the future, absolutely. If, if soybean prices go up, uh, we could see hopefully more uh, more farmers. You know planting more soybeans. Uh, Yogi Bear would have said it's like deja vu all over again. The Obama administration worked on a definition of what's a navigable waterway and called it WOTUS. The Trump administration unwound the Obama rule, wrote their own. Now the Biden administration in the process of unwinding the Trump rule and writing their own. WOTUS appears to be on the docket for the years ahead in Washington. Um, 
How much of a concern is that for farmers and especially for soybean farmers across the country? So I th- it's it's a huge concern, and and it's a lot more concern in my my area where we have uh, more irrigation. We have a lot of rice in rotation with with soybeans. So through the years, we have uh, with our own you know sweat and and money investment, we've uh, tried to increase the drainage on our farms. Uh, we've dug we've dug more ditches, more canals, more. Uh, surface reservoirs to hold water for that irrigation and and to come in and regulate that as if it were a navigable water uh, we have a real problem with that so getting water on through the form of irrigation we use those same canals and getting that water off is of vital importance when we go into the midwest we have we have a lot of tiling that is done and if you can imagine you know, restricting the flow of all of that tile drainage, uh, it would be uh, devastating to the Midwestern U.S. Very, very important uh, for us to stand up and show the importance of what that could do. Uh, the navigable waters, Mississippi River, I, I get it. Arkansas River and the White River around here, they they flow. They have dams on them. Those those are probably the the waters that were meant to be regulated. But when we get down to these small uh, ditches, uh, canals that we use as management tools, I think they should be off limits for that regulation. Well, Brad Doyle, we want to thank you for taking time here in the midst of the holiday season to spend with us on this edition of Open Mic. Uh, Brad, it's your first time here. It is Open Mic, and today the farmer from Arkansas has the last word. Well, I'm very excited. Uh, we have a, a, a hopefully a great year ahead of us. Um, we do have challenges, as always. Um, farmers are very resilient. You know, that's why many operations have been around for generations and generations. Uh, good things to come with, with the high oil demand. Um, uh, just, just proud to be a U.S. farmer. We have one of the greatest, you know, crops in, in the world, and, and we have the demand for that. So with industry support, checkoff support, um, we couldn't, we couldn't make this happen. I would just encourage everyone out there, if you're not a member of your state association, that you do uh, join because uh, we do a lot of work uh, and we also take all of your thoughts and inputs, uh, you know, to heart when we do, as a as a grower association, come together and fight for our rights as farmers. Our thanks to Brad Doyle, president of the American Soybean Association, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.